0: element of AI research that's being neglected is how to give them cell walls, how to give them individuality, so that when they become smarter than us, they will still need us because they're competing with each other. And traditional humans will still have a lot of influence, and we will favor the ones that treat us well.
1: Thank you, David, for doing this. Really, really appreciate you being on Change I Am Possible podcast. This is a small effort from our side in the other part of the world, trying to educate people about new technology. I, I, I call the, cha- the show Ch- Change I Am Possible. I kind of like break it down because I believe the technology is the man-machine convergence it's going to make everything possible because if you see right now I mean the technology there's things like age reversal which is at the cusp 10-15 years we could actually have age reversal we could have carbon capture and things like that if you also see in movies and books and especially the creative industry and the authors I think history is is full of these movies like Star Wars Terminator and stuff like that who will be actually predicting stuff you know quite in advance so I personally believe that it's the creative industry which which kind of nudges the technologists. do you believe that everything is possible or there is a limit uh, to things?
0: Well, first off, um, I do disagree with you on one thing, and that is that you said you're from the other side of the world, and I, I am from the other side of the world. You know, the, it, it, you know, Indian civilization is older than California by a long shot and uh, has a much more venerable history. Um, So, anyway, speaking here from California, you know, I was raised in the corner of the United States, uh, of North America, where everything's tipped. So, everything rolled down into the lower left corner that was loose. So, I I grew up uh, with this mix of art and science Um, the arts from my family, science from some weird genetic fluke. And so, I became a scientist. But I also pursued the art of uh, writing novels and fiction and and, uh, pursuing uh, notions of what if, which is the sacred phrase of science fiction, what if. Just as the sacred phrase of science is, um, what if I might be wrong? What if I might be mistaken? Uh, And that is the most mature statement that humanity ever developed because we humans hate the idea of being wrong. Uh, To be able to admit that you might be wrong is, according to the great sages, the beginning of of the route to wisdom. As uh, Buddha discovered under the bow tree and uh, Socrates and, and others. So Um, do I believe that everything is possible? Uh, No, I don't. For one thing, trained as a physicist, I know that there is such a thing as objective reality. Or if there's not objective reality, then we're in an awfully darn good simulation, which is a real possibility. Um, But if, assuming that what we see is real, then it has objective rules. But within those objective rules... We have proved again and again and again that human beings can transcend the limits that they see right in front of them. As Arthur C. Clarke said, the only way to find out what is possible is by reaching into the impossible, or at least what people assume to be impossible. Right now, we have a terrible problem of nihilism. It's been a plague in every culture, And that is the notion that, why should I lift a finger to save the world when the world is obviously doomed? Uh, Obviously, things are going to hell. Now, I have a popular blog called Contrary Brin. And that reflects the notion that I'm contrarian. If you surround me with optimists, I will point out the dangers and the problems. If you surround me with pessimists, which is most of the time these days, I will, just like you, Eddie, I will point out that there are absolutely fabulous things happening. As pointed out by the great Peter Diamandis in his book, Abundance, and by um, uh, so many other authors these days. More recent book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, for example, These are books that lay down the evidence that fantastic, great new things are happening. Uh, For example, during the last 75 years since the end of the Second World War, when humanity sank into its pit of despair, the fraction of children who were poor, so poor they could not go to school, So poor they had repeated episodes of starvation. That fraction of children on the earth was 90%. Now, that fraction of children is much less than 10%. Today, every day, 90% of the world's children bring school books home to what you or I would call a hovel. Uh, not a not, not an attractive place for a middle class person, like educated person like you or me, to live in. But nevertheless, with basic sanitation, water, a refrigerator, and electric lights. Well, it's insufficient progress by the standards we have set for ourselves. But it's spectacular progress compared to all of the human past. The question of our guilt, or our promise, is based upon the question, compared to what? And if you compare us today to the standards that science fiction has taught us, we might aspire to, then we are horrible people. We are horrible villains, we are racist, sexist, wastrels of the planet. We are villains, but we are the villains who have made those new standards that our children then accuse us of not living up to. Irony, in my opinion, is the strongest of all metals.
1: Uh, uh, lovely. So, so you mentioned uh, that, you know, a PP to DM in this and he obviously says that we're living in fantastic times, you know, and I largely would believe that, you know, and he also touched upon simulation, right? So through history, I mean, you know, the Rishi Munis, uh, the Babas and all, they've been saying something which is, sab kuch mo or maya hai. In, in, in that, in English, it means everything is greed and illusion everything is greed and illusion so they they've been saying that the entire world the entire universe is a simulation you know ages i mean that's the rishmanis have been saying so so what what are your views on something like that if that the entire world could be a simulation because even if you look right now at this point in time you know technology such as virtual reality which is in such a nascent stage but we can actually simulate everything and i can actually kind of interact with things now going forward when we have something like a quantum computer built it and then when we have like maybe mind uploading, downloading, and then you can actually upload uh, you can actually scan our entire cognitive structure and you can upload it on a computer. And when you put them on, into a virtual world, uh, the, the, this, this, this is, I mean, the possibilities could be, I mean, I, I don't really know, but it, it's an assumption. But what are your views on something like that uh, where when people say that we are actually living in a simulation at this point of time?
0: Yes. Um, well, you know, many of us had our first, in California, in the North America, had our first introduction to Hindi and Buddhist culture through a science fiction novel called Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny back in the 60s. And it was so eye-opening and so educational for us. And so we, then many of us hippies went on to read Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse and then you know, dive into the, the actual Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita and, and, and all of that. So we're a bit better, better educated than we used to be about that aspect of things. And, and now the question of whether or not we currently live in a simulation has many levels. One is... Well, are you just looking for an excuse to not do anything <laughs> um, but it, let's assume that it is our job, as Krishna says um, uh, to deal with this world as if it is real, even knowing that it is not we must we have responsibilities, we have duties to treat this. World as if it is the only world, and to, and to make it better, uh, as the Jews say, Tikkun Olam, the repair of the world, and they believe that God needs our help, in order to repair the world. That we are actually powerful beings, um, even if we are mortal. That we can make a better world. Now, speaking as a physicist, I have to tell you that there is no reason to believe. That this is not a simulation. Um, for one thing, there are some suspicious aspects to this universe we are in because these traits of our universe reduce the amount of computation power that the simulating computer has to use. For example, our failure to see aliens in the universe tremendously simplifies the model that must be presented to our senses and to our scientific instruments. Now the simulation had to get a lot better when we developed telescopes and spectrographs and we could see all the traits of all those stars out there. Next year the large synoptic array comes online in Chile and this will enable us to track tiny changes in the sky across almost the entire sky. Well, that's going to make the budget of this simulation computer a lot more expensive. But the failure to have aliens is one. Another is the speed limit, called the speed of light. How very convenient that we cannot go to the stars, or at least must wait until three or four generations from from now. That's very convenient, you know. And then quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics has a minimum size, a minimum velocity, minimum speed, and all of those things, the Planck limits, and you can't look any smaller than that. Talk about convenient (laughs) for for the... Now, I am about 60% joking right now. None of what I said is untrue. But again, as Krishna said, we have to act as if this objective reality is objective reality. But that's me as a physicist. That's me as a citizen of a civilization that feels responsible for taking care of this world. And if we take care of this world, perhaps the aliens will decide we are worthy of contact. But as a science fiction author... I have written at least a dozen stories about what if this is a simulation. Because it is a fantastic excuse for art. So all three of my short story collections, uh, one is called Otherness, one is called The River of Time, and one is called Insistence of Vision, all three of them have stories that Explore various aspects of this question. Uh, is this a simulation? And of course, you know, uh, the simulators are laughing their heads off watching this conversation right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, obviously, that there are times, you know, the double slit experiment and all those. I mean, it, it it gets you questioning. But anyway. So, what what are your views on technology at this point in time? Like, it, it's growing exponentially. So, do you feel that science and technology have the possibility to to like uh, solve uh, all the problems, the present world problems that we have?
0: Well, there is an old saying that it's too bad that our technology has not kept up that our moral advancement has not kept up up with our technology. Uh, But I have a famous essay about the science fiction film 2001, A Space Odyssey, which was written by Arthur C. Clarke when he was living in Sri Lanka. Uh, And we in San Diego, California, have started the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination. So, uh, in... In 2001, A Space Odyssey, you've all seen the movie. Um, People in the year 2000 were complaining that 2001 was coming and we weren't getting the magnificent space stations, the lunar colonies, the flying cars. And uh, to me, the most amazing thing about... 2001 is not how hard it was to get into space. It turns out it's pretty darn hard. Now we're ready. Uh, The fact that Americans landed on the moon in 1969 is insane. That people would ride such things. Now we're ready to go out there. And the Indians are playing a a, a substantial and well-deserved role in this. uh, One that will accelerate. And they will join the rush for the moon. I personally am very much opposed to the United States going back to the moon. Uh, There are other things we could do out there, um, including working with the Japanese on asteroids. But uh, let the rest of the world go to the moon, and there are important things to do on the moon. I should mention that I am on several NASA advisory boards. I I am uh, involved with NASA's Innovative and Advanced Concepts program, but I'm getting away from 2001 A Space Odyssey, so let's go back to that. To me the amazing thing about 2001 A Space Odyssey is how deeply immoral they showed humanity being in that movie. The whole plot is driven by lies told by uh, officious, superior, smug white males who did not seek wisdom outside their assumptions. Today, if we were to send a spaceship to Jupiter, as happens in that movie, there would be at least one woman aboard. And she would actually talk to poor Hal the computer instead of driving him into a paranoid frenzy with male power trips. My point is that I disagree with the old saying, our moral character has not kept up with our technology. The thing that people would find most amazing about us if they came today from 70 years ago would be how many moral issues we have taken on not completely successfully yet but our agenda is filled with notions of egalitarian social justice and this is an agenda that will never go away now. And in part, this is because of science fiction.
1: Right, right. right. So, so so tell me, as a futurist, what would be the your 10 predictions for the future that the others have missed upon?
0: Well, uh, in my nonfiction book, The Transparent Society from 1997 and my novel Earth from 1989, I predicted that one of the biggest problems of this era would be transparency, that the technologies of surveillance are unstoppable. They are absolutely unstoppable and it is absolutely futile for civil libertarians or anyone else to try to say, don't look, it won't work. If you can block this year's little camera, next year it will be smaller, faster, cheaper, better, and vastly more numerous. You will never stop the flood, the tsunami of light that is coming at us. But there is a big difference between what's going on in China now and the way this tsunami of light is being treated in the West. And that is in China and many other countries, these powers look down from authority, send information up and power comes down. This is no blame for the Chinese in particular. This is the way it was in all human societies for 6,000 years, a pyramidal hierarchy of power inheritance by kings and lords and priests who lorded it over everyone else and made sure that they got the information and the power flowed down. That is surveillance. But there is a concept floating around called surveillance S-O-U-S valence. And it's from the same language, it's from French, and it means looking back from below. And if we master this flow of light so that no elites, none of the rich, none of the mighty, none of the powerful, no criminals, none of them can escape also being seen, then something is very different about that world because even if they know all about us, they can't do anything to us. And that's a big difference. That is the crucial difference. So that's what the Transparent Society was about. That's what uh, the moral center of my novel Earth, which is also about the ecosystem and about, about the planet, about whether or not the planet might be an organic being that might come alive. Um. So that's that's one of the predictions I made uh, my, um my fans keep a wiki tracking my predictions and a number of them have come true some of them that I would rather not the great science fiction author Robert Heinlein predicted that the United States of America would pass through what he called the crazy years and that we would elect um, inappropriate people at a certain point. And um, I will say very little more about that now, except to add that people's respect for Robert Heinlein has been going up a lot lately.
1: So tell me, I mean, you know, in, in this world where... Technology companies are growing more powerful than nation, right? I mean, if you see the Google, your Facebook, and your Microsoft, and so on and so forth, you know, Facebook, obviously everybody knows, knows about Cambridge Analytica. Now, the technology which is going to be driving the future is largely artificial intelligence, right? That's the conversation everybody's talking about. There's a huge hype around it, but at this point in time, AI is nowhere next to its potential, right? I mean, it's it's doing small things like your if it's a personal assistant, it's your Alexa, your, your your Siri, and things like that, but it's it's doing very little, right? But it, it, it's growing. The trajectory is it, it's growing in exponential space. And people do predict, I mean, people are saying that artificial intelligence soon could go to artificial general intelligence, where it becomes has human-level intelligence. So do you believe that that is a possibility? And once that happens, what would the society look like? Would that breed an inequality?
0: Well, um, Inequality is the general trend, um, what's called an attractor state for all human civilizations. What we call the Enlightenment experiment um, has been an experiment with attempting to come up with a slightly, with a substantially different social model that avoids the inevitable delusions and errors of the pyramidal social structure. Now, the question that we face in many science fiction stories about artificial intelligence is what exactly are people afraid of? If you look at these movies like Terminator and, and Colossus and so on, you see that it's not so much just the AI, it's the fear of a return to an obligate power structure. So Hollywood is like an immune reaction in favor of the enlightenment and against returning to this horrible system that kept us trapped for 6,000 years. AI is a metaphor for all powerful beings at the top of a pyramid, being able to exercise capricious power over us. Uh, It might be AI. It might be a return of inheritance lords and kings. It might be a czar. It might be a communist elite. But if that happens, we may wind up with an explanation for why we don't see aliens. See, that's called the Fermi paradox, the question of why we don't see signs that stars should have been settled long ago. The Earth should have been colonized by aliens, by any logic. Why didn't it happen? Uh, and of the hundred or so explanations, and we could talk about that, that's a great topic, but that would take another hour. Um, one of them is that feudalism is an irresistible attractor trap that snares all species, because it certainly snared 99 percent of human cultures. And if we fail to maintain this enlightenment experiment, that could lead to Star Trek and egalitarian meritocratic system, in which what you have in life is earned by who and what you are, with a substantial amount of 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 uh, safety sa- social safety net. If we build that then there's nothing to keep us from the stars. But it seems like the odds have always been against that. And I consider many of our nightmares about AI to be metaphors about that, not so much artificial intelligence. And I have an unusual take about how we can make sure that AI uh, does not do any of those bad things. And let us consider the possibility that our AI overlords are listening in on this conversation right now, because uh, it's, it's, wouldn't they want us to think that we haven't invented them yet? Yeah, 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 I hear you, forget about it. They don't believe me anyway. Uh, okay, so the main way in which we can prevent AI from doing terrible things like Terminator and all that is a method I talk about that almost no other AI researchers are even mentioning. And it is how we got the Enlightenment experiment. And that is, if you're afraid that one entity is too powerful, you split up power into subgroups and ha- set them against each other. If you are attacked by one of these super brainy entities called a lawyer, what do you do? You hire your own super brainy lawyer. If I believe that the number one element of AI research that's being neglected is how to give them cell walls, how to give them individuality, So that when they become smarter than us, they will still need us, because they're competing with each other. And traditional humans will still have a lot of influence. And we will favor the ones that treat us well. And there are several others, and they are the the province, so far, of science fiction.
1: Right, completely. And you said, uh, you mentioned there, BCI, Pre-Computer Interface, where we go along for the ride, you know, and there are people like Elon Musk who's fronting there. There's others like... uh colonel brian johnson there for fronting the conversation yes i think we're living in fantastic time and, and things look extremely optimistic for uh humanity as a race and, and our next big evolution could be like a man machine convergence yeah? so you you spoke about aliens like there, there was this time you know when i used to kind of like sleep on the terrace of the building and i used to this this was when i was very young and i used to keep on looking up on the sky because i actually believed that aliens were there because it's such a huge huge space you know it would be like a waste of space if there's no Nobody else besides us, right? But then, firm paradox came in and said, "It's it's uh, I, and and then uh, I, I believe, I mean, if if we're living in a simulation, that that's that's one possible explanation. That I mean, the aliens are not there. But anyway, besides that, uh, right now, because the technology is, is growing so exponentially, and, and largely it's being driven by connectivity, internet, right?" India, there is this company called Jio, which is giving away uh, uh, internet almost free. So, that's the reason, I guess, there's this, now, This the last couple of years have been this sudden surge of us becoming economically more uh, better off, right? So, do you think that is a reason why, why the political structure of, of the world is being shifted, like China is now being more... Uh, uh, uh there rather than America because at that one point in time the global leader was America but right now there's others who are now everybody is joining the bandwagon so is technology at play and will the future have more of these countries possibly coming in with the ones who are possibly also third world countries will they be more enabled with, with uh, technology?
0: Well, uh, to an extent, this is, you know, some Americans are uh, in agony over the loss of paramount uh, Pax Americana authority over the world that we had at the end of World War II. Uh, I'm not afraid of it at all, because it is proof that America was trustworthy with that power. Uh, there has never been a time, better time for humanity than the last 75 years. And if the result is that China and India, who each have four times as many or five times as many people as America, wind up being highly creative and rich centers of civilization because they have more people to make more things and make more discoveries than us I don't see why we would benefit Uh, and and this was the idea that was spoken of by George Marshall and Harry Truman and the great, great heroes of 1947 and 1948 who designed this new world Uh, so Uh, Speaking as a Californian and and as an American, uh, I don't mind a a world filled with eager, inventive, friendly people uh, who are accomplishing things. Uh, My my goodness gracious. Uh, So the captains of of the starships, on average, uh, will be have Indian or Chinese last names, <laughs> like I care, uh, I, I would prefer that they still watch Hollywood movies though because that's a fine value system. Completely, uh, definite,
1: definitely agree to, to that.
0: Tolerant, tolerance, diversity, uh, eccentricity, suspicion of authority. As long as our, the, those, those crews of those starships believe in all of those things and have a great sense of humor and laugh a lot, eh, I don't care what the last name is, and I don't really care what color they are either. Quite frankly, I think green and purple would be very attractive.
1: So, so you know what, I was going back to the earlier question, I was saying that you, you're talking about green and purple, you know, and at this point in time, with the help of uh, synthetic biology, the tool, we are on the cusp of redesigning humans. We're talking about organ regeneration. We're talking about like there's Aubrey D. Gray and David talk who's talking about reversal and they say that age or death could be a disease which could be cured. So what are your views on that?
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a shallow male human and so naturally I would um, not refuse a, a gift of more years to um, enjoy things as they come along. However, I have an infamous essay. If you Google my name and the word immortality, you'll find a, an essay that made a lot of these guys, these I'm going to live forever guys, very, very angry. Uh, it, and it's basically uh, the fact that um, humans are already the Methuselahs of mammals. Uh, we are already have, per body mass, by far the longest lifespans of mammals. And we had to do this for a reason. Across the last million years, we had to become very smart, and the only way to become smart was to have helpless children. Uh, When we give birth, we give birth to fetuses, and they gradually become capable of autonomous movement and thought over about 20 years um and and then they then they become toddlers uh at about age 20 and maybe at age 30 they can take their diapers off um you can guess what phase i'm in um The point is, in order for us to have this extended childhood, we needed grandparents. So each tribe had to have at least a few who lived into their ripe old 40s or 50s. And that drove us to have longer lifespans. Well, that meant that we plucked all the low-hanging fruit How to live longer. So every time you hear about a new result for mice or fruit flies and say, oh boy, that's going to make me live longer too. No, it's never happened. Starvation, for example. Uh, uh, Diet restriction. Yes, yes. Now, mind you, I fast for 14 hours a day. For health reasons, and and it and it is a good thing, but that's not so hard to do. <laughs> you know, it's 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 it's, not, it's it's not it's not that hard. But the other stuff, caloric restriction. I mean, get thin as a rail. That's going to make me live longer. No. It makes mice live longer. Because that's low hanging fruit. Now. Might science come up with some new methods that evolution could not find, like telomere extension and things like that? Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind visiting other star systems, but we have a lot of problems to solve here first. We have to make it so that the this Earth can hold up under the, all the weight of all these humans. And we're going to be, uh, the good news that we're ending poverty around the world means that the, our burden on this planet is going to increase. So we have to work very hard to decrease it per person. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote my novel Earth.
1: What are the technologies which scares you and what are the technologies which excites you? And how do you think India, where is India poised at this point in time? How will India benefit from all of these technologies, whether it's businesses, individuals, societies, government?
0: Well, you know, all the fantastic creativity that is going into um, creations, like I mentioned, that will enable uh, human cities to be self-supporting with a rising standard of living while hurting the earth less, These are exciting. Um, The Internet is exciting. Enabling everybody to have all the world's knowledge is exciting, but we have to remember history. Every time there is a new technology for communication, optimists say this is going to make everybody better. Pessimists say human beings can't deal with all of this Flood this fire hose of information. Uh, It must be controlled or people will go insane. Always the pessimists were right at the beginning. When the printing press was created, the first major product of the printing press wasn't beautiful Bibles and things like that. It was horrible pamphlets of hate, between Protestants and Catholics that made the uh, religious wars of Europe so much worse. In the 1930s, radios and loudspeakers expanded and amplified the human voice so that gifted orators could hypnotize vast populations and take over nations. And this created the hell of the middle of the 20th century. In the English-speaking world, we lucked out. We got gifted orators like Churchill and Roosevelt who who were on our side. So they wanted to guide us the way Pericles guided the, the Athenian democracy, and they didn't want to become masters. They wanted us to think. Now, did we get those folks like Nehru, like, uh, like Gandhi. Did we get those gifted users of those new technologies who were on our side b- by luck? Or was it because of something in the English language? Because that's too many for coincidence. I mean, Churchill, Roosevelt, Gandhi, Nehru... Uh, so, perhaps it's something in the language. If so, we had better hope that it works now because the internet is repeating that story. It is being used by gifted liars to destroy Western democracy. And so far, they've been winning these battles. And we will see this year if Americans are capable of deciding that it's time for the optimistic use of these technologies to take hold. Because in all those other cases, eventually printed books and magazines and newsreels and radio, they did eventually make us smarter The optimists proved right in the long run. The problem is that right now we just don't have a lot of time. Everything happens faster.
1: Thank you, David, for being part of this show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise. I mean, uh, I really appreciate you giving time and doing this for us. Like, like I said, yes, we're li- uh, living in exciting times, and I think that there's there's so many good things which which which, which uh, happening. You know, that but we need the inclusivity, diversity going on right now. You know, from the conversation when we are building these technologies, because all of these technologies are it, it is going to change our world and and the way we live, work, and play. So any last words to our listeners?
0: Well, yes. I mean, I always have something else to say. <laughs> I hope that um, right now in China, one of the great optimistic signs is that they are favoring science fiction. Now, there are reasons for this. One of them is Liu Cixin's great novel trilogy, The Three-Body Problem, and it brought great honor and pride to China. Another is that China... They, they did a survey of creative Californians and found that the most creative Californians all grew up reading science fiction. So um, they, they decided to push this. But always in nations that are hierarchical, shall we say, science fiction eventually is crushed. It went up under Lenin and was crushed under Stalin. It went up under Khrushchev during the space race and it was crushed under Brezhnev. Because science fiction is impudent. It always asks, what's the next question? What if the things we assume might change? And that's one of the reasons why it, it encourages creativity. Creativity. It encourages me a great deal to see the rise of a vigorous science fiction community in India because uh, it's a sign that young people and even older people are saying, wait a minute, does it have to be like this? What if it went like this? What would be the good? What would be the bad? What would be the things we should prepare for? What are the opportunities? What if? And I'll leave you with that. The sacred word of science is, I might be wrong. The sacred words of science fiction are, what if?
1: Right, I think I, I think that's the the base of us growing as a civilization. When we keep on asking these questions, and, and we work together to solve those problems to make the better world. Thank you on the on that note. They would really really appreciate this for you, for you being part of Change and Impossible podcast. To mm-hmm. my listeners, if you like this, please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye bye. Thank you.